So we are in the process of talking about what it means to be a church that is missional, carrying out our mission before the Lord. And this morning, we're going to talk about these two things together, the notion of missionality and discipleship. And it's kind of interesting because there is actually a debate that goes on where some have seen a conflict between these things, as if a church has to either be oriented toward discipleship or a church can be missional in its orientation, but it can't be both which uh, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. It would seem to me that a church could easily be both missional and disciple-oriented and do the, thing, the kind of things then that God would want us to do on both fronts. There is only a conflict, it seems to me, when each does not include the other. And so if a church decided that it was going to go into the world and do a lot of missional kinds of things, ministering to the community around it, but wasn't interested in either discipling its own members or bringing about discipleship on the part of those to whom they take the good news, like that, would, that wouldn't make any sense. And if a group of people said, well, we're going to disciple our own people and we're very interested in bringing our children along and creating great followers of people among us, but we're not interested in doing anything with our community or in, in reaching out in any way, that certainly also would be a mistake. And so it makes sense to me that we would want to have both and not just one. But I do think that these two things combined actually form two great pillars in terms of what the church is supposed to be doing in our world today. In fact... Um, for a while now, I've kind of been telling people that it seems to me like after all the years of ministry and being involved with the church and everything, that these two ideas, being missionally oriented and being discipleship oriented, are in fact the places where the church needs to orient itself. And of course, in the past, certainly different Christian fellowships orient themselves orientate themselves different orient themselves different and so churches will focus on like in our case being a restoration kind of group where we wanted to restore the New Testament church and that was kind of the ethos of this church for a long period of time and there was something really positive about that but that wasn't these two things sometimes churches will focus on the notion of their institution and the ordering of that institution. And so even like the Roman Catholic Church certainly focuses on their order and their institution as much as it focuses on anything else. They don't necessarily focus here. But I would say that missionality and discipleship is a place that all churches need to focus. So when we bring these two ideas together, what does this look like? And I would say that there are times in the ministry of Jesus when he himself brought these together, both the notion of discipleship and missionality. He brings these together in various incidents within the gospel. Like, for instance, Matthew chapter 4 
verses 12 through 23. I want you to turn there if you would. It only makes sense that the church would ask itself, what is it that Jesus did? What was Jesus about? <clears throat> so in verse 12 it says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Naphtali and the land, or the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow, each a shadow of death, a light has dawned. So Jesus has come into this world, it says, and specifically into this area. And what's going to be different, or what's going to What's going to happen? And we've looked at this many times, but he says then, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so Jesus was about the task of the mission of the kingdom. He is proclaiming the kingdom. He's bringing the kingdom. He's bringing the aspects of the kingdom. And we actually looked at this last week. What is it about Jesus' ministry that brings kingdom? And that's really crucial. But then notice what happens immediately after this in the text. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, which is discipleship. In fact, the word disciple is actually there. Come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men which is, of course, very much the missional task. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Uh, uh, yeah, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So again, the notion of discipleship. So it's pretty difficult to separate it seems to me, within this portion of the ministry of Jesus, it's pretty difficult to separate the notion of missions and discipleship. They go hand in hand, right with each other. So the missional church needs to be discipleship-oriented. The discipling church needs to be missional-oriented, it would seem like to me. And certainly this passage brings that up. Now I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. We'll spend a little, little bit more time in Luke 5 this morning, asking the question, what is it that Jesus is doing? So in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, which is very telling, by the way. What is Jesus doing? He's out preaching the kingdom, which includes certainly the notion of the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And I think it's most likely that's because there's such a crowd there. He's 
He's got to get out away from the crowd a little bit. They may have pushed, pushed him right into the water if he hadn't gotten into the boat. So he gets in the boat and then turns around and faces the shore and begins to teach people from the shore out of the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now we, in the first service today, we talked about metaphor a bit, and I, I just wonder about the metaphor here of going into deep water and putting out your nets for a catch. Jesus here is teaching Peter and Andrew something, I think, about life and not just about fishing. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And certainly there's something here in the idea that the disciple is going to be the one who listens to what Jesus says and follows him. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And this seems to be like a second time, or maybe even a third time at least, where Jesus has had contact with these guys. He meets them first in John chapter 1 in the city of Jerusalem. And then it seems to me like the story in Matthew that we just read is a little bit different than this. Could be the same incident, I suppose, with some different features. But I think it might conceivably be a different incident. And then here Jesus is again talking to Simon Peter, in this case from the boat, and there's a little bit of a different dialogue that takes place. So I'm not sure how many times Jesus meets them and they follow him and then they return to their father and do some fishing and he meets them and they follow him again. But there seems to be a growing interaction here between Jesus and these people who are calling them disciples. If we watch some movie from 1955, you know, it just seems like Jesus is walking along the seashore. He meets these guys at the boats. He motions to them and then they follow him down the beach. It looks like that's all that ever happened. It doesn't seem to me like there's just that kind of interaction, though. I think there's maybe a little bit more here. So tell me what it is that Jesus seems to be asking of these persons, of Simon and Andrew, and then ultimately of James and John. What are the kinds of things that he's expecting these people to do, to be involved with? I think he does ask for belief. Yeah. And, and at several different, perhaps, occasions. Like, again, if he meets them in John chapter 1, if that's the first time he meets them, there's some kind of belief there. And he's wanting that and expecting that. Uh, we know that he meets them, or they, some of them at least see him uh, as he's baptized. And John, walking along the river, and says to them, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's another occasion for them to have spent some time with him. 
And then there's at least these incidents in Matthew that we read and in Luke. And I think in every case, Jesus is, there's some kind of claim made about who Jesus is and belief is expected. So that, um, in, in fact, why don't we talk for a moment here about what belief constitutes? Like, what is it that, that Jesus is really looking for, Greg, when he says belief? Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. Why, why would they be afraid anyway? Like Jesus says, don't be afraid. Why would they be afraid? <laughs> That's a possibility. Okay. Yeah, they could be afraid that if Jesus is making claims to Messiahship and they follow him, then they could get themselves in hot water that way for sure. Elaborate. Yeah. Yeah, I would... Okay. Yeah, it could, be, it could be a sense which I'm not worthy. If they're thinking that Jesus is Messiah and he's going to do these incredible things now that he's on the scene, um, they could be absolutely feeling unworthy. And Peter kind of insinuates that that's how he's feeling, I'm unworthy. But there's also the notion, and maybe this is where Ron was going with the idea of the kind of the, the miracle, miracle worker or the, you know, even one who comes in bringing uh, strange powers. Like, who is it that can tell people after they've been fishing all night, cast your net over here, and all of a sudden the net's going to be absolutely teeming with fish? That has to worry them a little bit. Who is this guy? So some trusting faith and belief in that way is in order, but not necessarily all that easy. And, and we're that way. I mean, for us to trust and believe the way that Jesus really wants us to trust and believe is not the easiest thing in the world. Mana? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like they definitely, they definitely need to be obedient. He, you know, he, he tells them what to do and they do it. And, and not just with the fish, but also in the sense of follow me. Do you think it's blind? Maybe, yeah, like they hadn't. Yeah, they certainly wouldn't have a real firm understanding of what's going on for sure. So... I don't know if it's absolutely blind, but uh, they don't have a whole lot to go on in terms of trusting and believing. And he wants that from them for sure. Well, what else is it that he asks of them? Like, Mana said obedience, but it's obedience in a certain direction or in a kind of definite direction in Luke 5. What's that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely need to trust and obey. I agree. But there, is there a specific direction that obedience and trust is supposed to take here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I mentioned before, as I was reading through this, I said, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, put out into deeper water? And I, you know, I made mention of the, the kind of the metaphorical sense of putting out into deeper water here. And I, and I wonder if that's not behind Jesus' request here. Yes, he wants them to obey. That's true. He wants them to make sure that they put their nets down on one side and, and then he's later on, he's going to call them to follow him and I'm going to make you fishers of men and all that. But there is something maybe a little less definitive in terms of just going in the direction of a, a deeper life, a, a challenge that goes beyond normalcy. This is not normal fishing. <laughs> I mean, they, they, these guys knew the, the, the Sea of Galilee really well. And they understood about fishing in the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus is saying, I want you to put out into deeper water and something's going to happen when you do in terms of your relationship with me. And, th- and then it does. Uh, wh- what do you think it means in our own lives as disciples to put out into deeper water? What does that look like for us? Okay, maybe where it's a little bit less safe, you get out into the deeper water, maybe further out into the middle of the lake where the wind might come up as they, it was prone to do on the Sea of Galilee and put them in jeopardy. So it could be some risk involved. What else? Yeah, the, yeah, the notion of the, of the rabbi and the follower. Yeah, I would agree. And and there is a there is a challenge for them to be open to the notion of being mentored to them following the rabbi. Andy, did you have your hand up? Okay. Okay, yeah, if you didn't hear all that, he said um this could be complicated. This could be challenging. Deeper water could entail um, a, a real challenge to who I am as opposed to the comfortableness of being in the shallows. Steve? Okay. Yeah. He goes with them into deeper water. Yeah. Yeah. And and as he requests of them, you know, put your you know, put your nets over on the side. You know, I, I don't know that Jesus was helping them with the nets, but it stands to reason that he might be. And certainly as they're all of a sudden called to pull in a catch that's way more than they're used to, maybe he helps them pull it in, whatever, but he's right there with them in the midst of all of that. Yeah. Other things that you see that might be uh, part of what it is that Jesus is, is calling them to. Well, they aren't just comforted by this. As we've said, um, you know, there's a little bit of fear, some consternation on their parts. Uh, They might be excited about the fact that they've got all these fish and they signal over to what I take to be James and John, bring them over uh, so that they can help them with the catch. It's all difficult. Um, But then it says that the boats are so full that they began to sink, which again, puts them in a kind of a tenuous position. So much success in fishing that they begin to sink. I'm sorry? 
of Billy Graham? How do you mean? Not yet. Yeah, sure, thousands of people would come to hear him. Yep. So, so people suspect that he had planted them or that it was all fake or something? Right. Okay. Yeah, well, there certainly is this massive amount of fish, which was uh, just something that they weren't used to and, and would have certainly put them in a position where they're thinking, what is going on here? That's for sure. Greg? <laughs> yeah, there's something about who he thinks he is in relationship to who Jesus is that puts his life in question. And he's questioning himself at that point. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because certainly we all find ourselves um, wondering what we're capable of and, and oftentimes having doubts about what we're capable of and what we can get accomplished even for the Lord. And, and of course, he's there. He, he wants to help. He's, he's not wanting to see us fail. He's wanting to see us succeed. But even in the midst of him being right there with us and calling us to success in him, we sometimes certainly doubt about whether or not we're able to do it, what he calls us to. And he's hoping for faith for sure. Yeah. Okay, anything else along the, the lines of what it might mean in this passage for us to be disciples? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that Peter's assessment of himself was mistaken. <laughs> like when he says, get away from me, um, it may be that his low self-esteem is causing him to see himself in a certain light, but it wasn't as if he was a spotless man. And so oftentimes we, uh, we do find ourselves thinking of ourselves and then actually sometimes simply being something separate from what the Lord wants us to be. That's for sure. Well, a lot of that has to do with the notion of discipleship for sure. But notice again how there is incorporated into this, this element of mission again. He is calling people to be fishers of men. When Jesus puts the, asks them to put the nets down uh, on the other side of the boat and he fills the nets, um, he's indicating just how successful humankind can be in his endeavors when he asks them to do something. And so Jesus says, do this. And they do it in light of who he is. They're in obedience. And because they are, Jesus blesses them richly. And so we have the opportunity to be very successful in terms of doing what Christ wants us to do if we'll just follow through. If we're as obedient as he wants us to be and we have the kind of mindset that, that we should have, we have the possibility of doing wonderful things for him missionally um, because of what it is that uh, the power that he supplies by being right there with us and blessing us. Uh, in the way that he can bless. Okay, all of that's good stuff. Let me move us on, though, to another passage. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Same kind of context, and very quickly kind of on the heels of it. 
But you notice here, uh, in this case, it's the calling of a different disciple. In this case, it's Matthew, Levi, the tax collector. So after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eaten with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So tell me how this circumstance is different than the circumstance with the calling of Peter and Andrew, James, and John, whether in the Matthew passage that we looked at or in the Luke 5 passage earlier. How's it different with respect to those who are there? How's it different with respect to the call? How's it different with respect to the one who is called? Steve? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's no great display at this point, at least of a miracle. Now, there might be a different kind of miracle going on, but it's not exactly like the miracle of fish. Yeah, it could be that he's heard of Jesus. It could be that he's heard Jesus teach. He might have even witnessed some kind of miracle before. But at least in this story, it's a different kind of action that calls Matthew to discipleship. Now, Matthew is, we know what kind of person, what's his profession? Tax collector. And what is the perception of the people about tax collectors? They're crooks. In fact, he was a Jew who was specifically and intentionally collaborating with the Romans who were constantly stealing from the people. And so he is, in, in effect, a thief, participating as a Jew in ripping off Jews for the sake of the Romans who were stealing all kinds of things from the, the Jews. So they are going to despise, absolutely despise Matthew. So what's the miracle here? Because it does seem like it's not a miracle like catching fish. But there's another kind of quite surprising thing taking, on, uh, taking place here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And not just mixing with them. He does mix with them, which is very interesting. And, and he kind of explains that in the last verse, why it is that he's mixing with these people. But not just mixing, he calls Matthew specifically to apostleship. He calls Matthew to be one of his prime disciples. And that in itself is like a miracle. Because Matthew, according to all the people, wouldn't have any right at all to be called by Messiah to do anything. And here Messiah is calling this one specifically to discipleship. And he responds. Like, what in the world is someone as crooked, as devious, as disrespected as a tax collector 
doing, responding to the call of Messiah. If Jesus is going to call somebody, he should be calling Pharisees, the holy ones, or the scribes, or somebody. I mean, it's bad enough that he's already called fishermen, but now he's calling a tax collector. This just doesn't make any sense at all. And again, it almost verges on a miracle. And then as he calls him, like Matthew does respond, he offers a banquet then, invites all kinds of others to come and experience Jesus along with him. And so it's not just discipleship that's going on. What else is happening here? Yes, they can. He went to the bottom of the list. You know, Bill, it's like he went after you and me. <laughs> at least me. Yeah. Elsie would be at the top. Well, maybe Bill's not at the bottom. I can't say that. <laughs> but Jesus, Jesus certainly does go for the, for the bottom rung here in terms of who he calls to be a disciple. But then the disciple, this one who is called responds, and he doesn't respond just with belief. Like, we've talked about how we need to believe. We need to have faith. But he doesn't respond just with belief. He doesn't respond just with trust. What does Matthew start doing immediately? Celebration? Yeah, there's, there's an instant kind of um, inviting others to join with him in this wonderful thing that is going on as far as Messiah now being on the scene. And so Matthew gets very active about his faith immediately. Go ahead, Greg. Hmm, that's a good question. I hadn't I guess I hadn't thought about that. Well, it says there's a large crowd of tax collectors. They would have been Jews. And then it says others were eating with them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to a disciple. So, you know, I, I suppose it's possible that there could have been some Gentiles there. He says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So, I, you know, I suppose it's a possibility. Interesting. Well, they didn't, but, I mean, there were all kinds of Romans around. Um, and Matthew was collaborating with those Romans on a regular basis in terms of the, his role as a tax collector. He would have known a lot of them in the Roman government or, you know, at least within the Roman tax system in terms of taxing the Jews. So it's, I suppose it's possible that he could have actually invited some of them to, the, to meet Messiah as well. Now, for those fellows, for the G Gentiles, if they were to come, it would have been more of a novelty kind of thing. Oh, you know, well, you know, let's go here with this popular Jewish teacher has to say, they wouldn't be thinking in terms of, let's go see what Messiah has to say. But the tax collectors that are invited, the Jews, they could be maybe convinced by Matthew at this point that something special is going on here. They were, of course, by heritage, still Jews and would have still been thinking in terms of Messiah coming. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, it's interesting. I had never asked the question about whether or not there might be Gentiles there, but I suppose that's a possibility. At any rate, Jesus is, has put Matthew in a position where Matthew has a completely reframed 
mind. Like this man has, he's been reframed in terms of the way that he, that he thinks about things and all of a sudden is inviting others to come and participate with him. And it is a celebration, but it's also, um, it's also an opportunity for others to experience Messiah. And, and Matthew is very pointed about making that a possibility. And then Jesus says, in response to all that, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, when he says that, he's speaking to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. So he's kind of straightening them out, but it's not just them that he's straightening out. Who else is hearing him say that? Well, everybody else, and that's going to include Matthew. It's going to include the one that he just called. And so there's a sense in which Jesus is, um, he is giving credence to what Matthew has done. He is supporting Matthew in what he's just done and saying, this guy's done the right thing. You Pharisees and teachers of the law are now calling into question what I'm doing and what Matthew's doing because we're talking to sinners and tax collectors and potentially even Gentiles. You're calling into question what we're doing when really Jesus says, this is what I've come for. So he, he gives credence to and affirms what Matthew has done in, in calling other people to come and hear Messiah. So his discipleship, Matthew's discipleship, has immediately led him into mission. Even if it's just a celebratory act at one level, he's at the same time invited these others to come and meet Messiah. And that is a missional kind of act. So again, we see mission and discipleship closely linked again, together here with the, right in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and certainly with the apostles. David, were you going to say something? heterogeneous kind of group uh, that gets invited. Yeah, I would agree. Now, it is interesting, too, uh, like I hadn't thought of this until David said this, but the notion of, uh, of putting out into the deep water, is there anything parallel here? And Jesus doesn't specifically ask Matthew to host this banquet, but Matthew kind of puts out into deep water by himself. He's going in, in a direction that would be certainly a challenge for him. Um, he would not he would not win more friends among the average Jew by inviting all these other tax collectors and Gentiles, if there are some or whatever, to this banquet. And he's certainly not making friends with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So he's put himself in, in a position, again, of tenuousness. There's risk here on Matthew's part. And so I don't, it's not exactly the image of putting out into deep water, but it might be putting out into deep water socially anyway where he puts himself in that kind of social context 
uh, and even religiously, in that religious context, he's out in deep water inviting these others that normally would not get invited. Certainly not by Messiah's people. But that's what happens. So, right. Yeah, and there's certainly a challenge to him there. If, if he didn't give up his career, he at least would have had to change his practices drastically, which may have entailed giving up his career because they would have fired him or whatever. You know, maybe, maybe imprisoned him. Who knows? David? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, we, and it's interesting. We talked just about that exact passage last week, Matthew 10, and then in, in Luke, it's in Luke 9 and 10 where Jesus sends out the disciples to do his, the same kind of ministry that he's doing. But this is just, this is so much a part of the Gospels this whole notion of sending others out, people doing ministry in the name of Jesus, like Jesus, deeper water doing things like Jesus. Like it's, it's just one thing after another. It is so much different. It is so much different than just coming to church. It's just so much different than that. This whole challenge of this kind of lifestyle where discipleship and missionality come together into a, um, well, into a lifestyle that's, that has a completely different kind of focus. This is just so much different to live that kind of whole lifestyle than just coming to church. And sometimes we just think we need to just come. And Jesus is just calling us to, he's calling us to something so much different than just attendance at a weekly gathering. Well, I'll leave you with that. We will uh, open the doors, let some other folks in. Thanks, everyone.